Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Good afternoon, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the last week in Mortgage Today, our weekly whirlwind through all the latest uh, happenings in the mortgage industry. Each week, I am pleased to be joined by one of our lender members as my co-host to go through the weekly news headlines and also like to uh, get their insight as to the current business climate. And this week, I am pleased to be joined by the president of Apex Home Loans, Eric Gates. Eric, thanks for joining us. Hi, Rich. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate the invite. So, and before we get into it, I always like to have our co-host kind of level set uh, with the audience, just a little bit about Apex, where you do business, general size, uh, anything else interesting that you got in the hopper uh, as we get into the meat of uh, 2021 here. Okay, thanks, Rich. Sure. We're an independent mortgage banker. We're headquartered in Rockville, Maryland, which is a DC suburb, uh, licensed in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, down the coast of Florida. Uh, so, doing the uh, largest amount of our business uh, in the greater DC market, but in, in all of those states. Um, about 170 employees, and uh, we did. Uh, just under $2 billion last year for a record year like everybody else experienced. Very lucky and fortunate to be in an industry that thrived during all of this chaos. Awesome. Excellent. And congrats on the outstanding year. And um, the uh, so let's get right into it here. And, uh, you know, again, no shortage of things happening right now in the industry uh, before we get into it, though, I always like to remind everyone, uh, strive for interactivity. Any questions, comments, thoughts, anything that you have for us, feel free to pump it into the chat or the Q&A, and uh, we will incorporate it into the program. So, Eric, let's start with the uh, the new FHFA uh, low-income refi program. You know, I've been talking to some of our members about this. A lot of caveats to it. you got to save 50 bucks. you got to go down 50 basis points. 620 FICO, GSE owned loan, 80% of less of area media income, no lates, no forbearance, no vowels in your middle name. Is anybody going to qualify for this thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think my opinion is really any different than what sounds like you're hearing from most other people is that it seems to be a pretty limited audience. Um, main benefit being the redu- uh, removal of the 50 basis points adverse market fee. Uh, for loan amounts between 125 and 300, loan amounts below 125 are already exempt from that. Um, it seems like a pretty small audience. You know, it's not a streamlined product, really. They're getting rid of the appraisal flexibilities with applications after the end of May. So uh, GSE patch is, is going away. So um, it, it seems like there won't be a whole lot of people benefiting from the product. Uh, like if you, you noted all of the restrictions on it, they're plentiful. So it, it's hard to fathom that there's going to be a lot of people that are really going to benefit from this. I don't know if it's more of a PR move or, or what, but um, yeah, I mean, and I haven't really heard from anyone else that they feel differently. I'm not sure if you have or not. And anyone that you, you felt, uh, seeing it in, from a different angle that we're missing anything? 
No, I think, you know, most people I've talked to, yeah, same thing, kind of a limited audience. I mean, something is better than nothing. Don't mean to nitpick here, you know, but, uh, you know, the adverse market fee was a little comical to me that, you know, they only remove it if the loan amounts, you know, between a certain, like, not that we, are we in an adverse market, really? Um, but, uh, yeah, that it's a limited audience, uh, you know, have heard from some of our members that a lot of people that would tend to fit most of this criteria, probably like on an FHA loan and not a GSE back loan. It would have made more sense maybe to do something through HUD and uh, uh, Ginnie Mae, but uh, no, same same feedback from the members I've talked to. Yeah, and I mean, it's just odd timing in a way too, because I think somebody just commented on the, in the chat on this, uh, that I think if you were eligible to refinance, you probably did. You know, or at least most people did. So I don't know how much benefit it's going to bring if rates are a little bit higher now or, or climb any higher throughout the year, um, especially since the program is not even available yet. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, as you noted, somebody uh, typed in the chat and most people already qualify for a refinance under Home Ready, Home Possible, aside from the appraisal fee credited back. So a uh, good point uh, to the viewer that uh, that chimed in. So We'll see there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think they uh, when they came out with it, they said that their data said that there are two million people that would qualify. There was not a lot of context around that. I don't, you know, I mean, nobody that selected forbearance, um, you know, can be in this pool. I don't know if they're counting those people. I mean, you would think that a lot of people at 80 percent or below of area median income, you know, would have had to have taken or elected to take some forbearance, um, given that it was just you didn't have to you know, document or prove anything to get it, especially when, you know, the pandemic first hit last year, but uh, we'll see, we'll see how it evolves and man, maybe we'll be wrong. So okay. um, moving on uh, to what just continues to be a bigger and bigger national issue, forget the mortgage industry, what they're now calling a lumber frenzy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's, I've seen funny pictures on social media of like, you know, lumber trucks with like, police details and security around them. I mean, I'm half tempted to, you know, every time I look out in my backyard, it, like poachers might be back down, back there, uh, chopping the trees down, uh, like they're uh, rare pandas or something. But, uh, um, and then now there's an, I saw, uh, uh, there's now a legit market for dead trees. Like <laughs> whatever happens to dead trees, now they're worth money. I mean, this is insane. What's going on with lumber goes back to uh, the toilet paper frenzy, uh, lumber mills being shut down temporarily due to the pandemic and just not being able to get caught up because of all the DIY stuff that all of us did just sitting in our PJs for the last 15 months. So uh, your thoughts on the whole lumber madness? Yeah, I think uh, so. One of the things you touched on there with uh, the processing plants being shut down, um, I, I was given some really interesting information from a friend, uh, Jay Voorhees out of JVM Lending in, in Walnut Creek, California, uh, shared some really interesting information with me yesterday. Uh, he got from a Wall Street Journal podcast that says there's there's actually a glut of raw wood. And the cost of raw wood uh, is cheaper than it was 25 years ago. But there's a significant lack of processing ability and that, um, you know, all, all of the... Uh, lumber processing plants are a lot of them were closed for a while it's prohibitively uh it's, it's cost prohibitive to build new ones and you know it's until they all get up and running uh 
uh, again and can process it more, we're going to continue to see this kind of price increase uh, and, and limited supply. So um, I think it's really indicative. Um, Barry Habib has been talking for a long time about just this impact of COVID that uh, supply chains around the world are frozen because of the impact of COVID and plants being shut down and, and processes being frozen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take a while, it seems, for all of that to free itself up and uh, hopefully maybe later in the year as, as we get through some of the, uh, the backlog, they'll be able to get up and processing more and, and some of the costs will come back down. But it's, it's certainly when you look at the inflation fears and all the inflation inflationary pressures that people are talking about, it does seem that a lot of that is coming just from supply chain problems that have the potential to hopefully free up if we're able to get through the COVID crisis. Yeah, you know, it's I've joked on this program and others like, you know, it's ever since the mortgage meltdown in 07, 08, um, you know, there's been so much fear about inflation. The Federal Reserve has largely downplayed it. They've largely been right. I mean, there really has not been the inflationary, uh, you know, issues that, you know, remember QE and QE2 and QE3 and how many other QEs there were. I mean, people were freaked out about the potential of inflation and what it would do to bond prices and other fixed income assets. We never saw it. But now I, I think there's something there, honestly. Um, you know, I, I kind of chronicled on, on this show and others. I, you know, been looking for a home. I recently just bought one, but I was looking at building one would have been an extra $45,000 on top of an already, uh, what I would say was inflated price, just because of the lumber. That's not even getting into other costs. We've done a bunch of programs here on TMC Connect where we've had builders on or lenders from builder-owned mortgage companies. It's the cost of copper, everything really in the supply chain. And but yet, and people are still buying up homes <laughs> like, a, like a madmen. I mean, housing starts up 20% month over month when we're also looking at data saying that just these supply chain issues are inflating the price of a new home on average $36,000 above whatever the already inflated value may be just due to what's going on now. So, you know, you guys do a lot of business in the DC, Northern Virginia market. Those are, you know, high cost. What is the housing market like in those areas? Uh, very similar to what you're hearing from other people. I mean, drastic lack of inventory. And so that's, you know, every house has multiple bids. So I think it's, you know, the resale market is pretty similar to what you're describing for the new home market I mean, you know you, you've got to pay over asking price to get the home and so you're just like you're paying a lot more uh, on new construction because of, of the cost of materials going up and so whether you're buying new construction or you're buying a resale you're paying a lot more than maybe you would have expected to so every house here is getting multiple bids um it's 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 a challenge you know and i think on both sides even the new construction it's it's common in, in the resale market when we see this that you start having some appraisal problems because each home is selling for is look is selling for more than the last home. Buyers are looking forward and paying more than each of uh, the last sales, but an appraiser's got to look backwards and look at the most recent sales. So you start having some appraisal issues. And I think some of the builders are experiencing the same thing. All of a sudden they've got to charge 30, 40 grand more for the same house. 
that they were selling, you know, for 30, 40 grand less a few months ago, do they have the comps to support their sales in their neighborhoods? And now as a lender, you've got to be able to have some strategies up your sleeve as to how to work with your customer to deal with that situation if the appraisals are coming in low. So just another added problem to the cost of materials going up and the lack of inventory, you know, pushing all the values up. And it's it's stressful on on lenders, as I'm sure everyone listening knows. You know, I mean, loan officers are working with buyers to get pre-approved, and you know, you tell them how difficult the market is. Most buyers need to experience losing their their bid, having a losing bid on a house a few times before they really believe you. And uh, you know, you work with them, you prepare a lot of pre-approval letters, you spend a lot of time with them, and trying to put them in the best position to get a winning contract. And a lot of people uh, are getting frustrated and potentially deciding to hold off and wait till later. And so you've spent a lot of time and energy and resources and customers aren't getting their, their bids accepted. It's crazy. And we've talked about it before, more important than ever, I believe right now for loan originators to be educated beyond just last year was just like fending off the applications, right? Much different right now. You got to be an advisor and a counselor. Um, So you have a lot of new home buyers in the market, you know, people that, you know, bought GameStop stock or, you know, got rich off stimulus money and working or whatever the hell happened this last year. But there's a lot of new crazy uh, money uh, in the market. And my guess would be that the general home buying population probably needs a little bit more guidance than in the past. You know, I I think the... when we've seen lack of inventory in low rate environments before, it tends to linger for a while because you need move up buyers to sell their homes to, to provide opportunities for first time home buyers. And uh, you get a lot of people who, um, you know, they're not necessarily in love with their home, but they're in love with their loan, right? I mean, how many people are going to want to give up their 30 year fixed two and three quarter percent rate? to go take a larger mortgage at a higher interest rate a couple of years from now, um, it, it causes people to hesitate. Um, and sometimes it slows down that process until people really are busting at the seams and need something bigger and are willing to, to move on to the next house. And just finishing up on this lumber thing, but it's impacting everything. Like I, I bought a home, I get the keys June 1, went and got some furniture. They said like early August. You know, I got to have something done in the basement, a little bit of contract work. Uh, you know, we they said I have three different estimates, all very reputable contractors can't even start till mid to late August. They're using steel beams instead of wood because steel is cheaper, but it's also inflating the cost of furniture. It's inflating the cost of contract work and inflation in general. Uh, again, as somebody that's been really poo-pooing all the inflation, you know, uh, uh, tinfoil hat people over the years. And now it is something I really think that bears keeping an eye on because uh, one thing uh, greater than healthy inflation, what it eats away at the returns of fixed income instruments like mortgage bonds, which set the mortgage rates that our members all deliver out in the marketplace. So if we start to see runaway inflation and, you know, the Fed's in there, I know, buying the hell out of the bond market, but uh, that's not, you know, like it's not limitless and unending. So uh, something that definitely bears watching and something that uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on here. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I do think there's a chance that that is a temporary thing and that if we can get through the COVID crisis and we can free up supply chain and Barry Habib has talked about this a lot, 
um, you know, that it has the potential to then bring prices back down again uh, once we get through that. Hard to know, obviously, what the time frame on that would be. Be interesting to watch and chronicle. Uh, this is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined this week by the president of Apex Home Loans, Eric Gates. And uh, apropos uh, question that just came in the chat, because this is where I was going next. Uh, the question is, uh, Eric, what are you hearing about non-banks possibly having to follow CRA requirements? I know you to be a guy that is always going where the puck is and not where it is. My guess is you're all over this, right? This is something you got to keep an eye on if you're a non-bank. Yeah, I'm guessing that question might come from a comment I believe the Fed chair just made uh, on this topic, um, and I believe expressing an opinion that uh, that all lenders should be subject to that. Hmm. I mean, it's, it is something that our compliance attorneys have been telling us about uh, for the last year or so. Um, La typically every year we're, we're doing fair lending audits on ourselves and, and this year it was strongly recommended that we do sort of a redlining audit um, and see if we have potential issues there and apparently there is a lot of uh, talk around the states starting to look at exam when they're doing exams of independent mortgage banks looking at potential redlining issues and having that type of thing trickle down you know beyond just banks to independents like us. And it does seem like there's a lot of chatter about it and that there's a pretty strong potential. Um, so if you're doing fair lending audits on yourself every year, checking your data, uh, there are some of uh, the same firms doing that who are offering that type of audit for you as well, where you can try to identify whether you have potential risk or, or, or potential problem there and they can help uh, guide you through, you know, what steps you might take to to remediate that. Yeah, definitely something worth uh, looking into. And you said it, it's data. I mean, you know, I, I think any any time you have a fair lending audit that's going to be done, they're you know they're going to be taking a look at your application data and you know your geog the geographical footprint of it and anomalies that lie within them. They're going to be looking at your denied loans. They're going to be looking at your rate exceptions. So uh, just having been through that as a bank lender uh, for many years and many fair lending audits, uh, to document everything would be my suggestion and, uh, uh, and have good policies and procedures in place. So, but uh, something that uh, I think is coming down the pike for sure. And was, did Jay Powell, uh, were those comments he made today? I didn't see those. I'm not sure if it was today or yesterday, but I do believe it was very recent. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, so interesting. Pick it up and send it to you. Okay, yeah, for sure, because I'd like to uh, read that. So, um, regulatory matters in general. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's we've got a new CFPB. Uh, they've placed a lot of emphasis on fair lending and uh, evening the playing field. Uh, you know, we've got a new uh, HUD secretary that uh, her background is, you know, really, um, you know, along those lines as well. And, uh, you know, any other adjustments you're making really behind the scenes or something, anything you're doing at Apex to prepare for what is going to be a very different regulatory climate these next three, four years at least? Well, I think one of the things you touched on, which is pricing policies and pricing exceptions and documenting. We, we are working to try to improve what we're doing around those things. I do think that's really important. Um, 
you know, in the end, a fair lending audit doesn't care about intent. Intent is irrelevant. It's just about the data, like you said. And I think we all probably test ourselves at, you know, the end of each year and, and look for any fair lending issues. But Part of the problem there is if you do find something, it's sort of too late, right? Now you find something and yes, you can go fix it and remediate it, but uh, moving forward, but you can't undo what's already been done. So, um, you know, one of the things we do, uh, I'm sure a lot of people do the same, but uh, if you're not, you know, we, we do our fair lending audit, you know, our own internal one through our attorneys, order it through them so that the data there is attorney client privileged and if somebody were to come in and examine us and ask us if we've done that and ask for a copy of it, uh, if we were to find something, uh, the data would at least be attorney-client privilege. So one random little tidbit there, um, if that helps anybody. But I, I think um, I think what you discussed is exactly what I was thinking. You know, you make sure you're you're documenting everything. Make sure you're testing yourselves. I think the other thing we're looking at now is potentially doing it more frequently than annually. Maybe it's a quarterly basis um, to see if we can't identify any potential issues earlier on if they're going to arise. And many thanks to uh, Mark Renault, one of our members out of Michigan. He uh, dropped the link to uh, Jay Powell's uh, speech in the chat, which was yesterday. So I'll have to, I don't know how I missed that. So, but uh yeah, uh, worth uh, worth keeping an eye on. So to that end, the Biden administration, um, you know, another thing that they really kind of now have pushed and it's in Congress, uh, down payment towards Equity Act, uh, which is a down payment assistance grant, again, with caveats, but, uh, you know, up to as much as $25,000, um, depending on the situation. Uh, again, a great thing, right? I mean, but uh, it's something normally we'd be just applauding in, in the industry. But given what's going on right now with supply, demand and values, uh, it's been, you know, again, just in talking to our members, a lot of concern that this could be like, uh, you know, a little gas on the fire and could have some unintended consequences that would greatly outweigh the intended good of the bill. Any thoughts on uh, that down payment assistance bill that's uh, starting to filter through Congress? Yeah, I think we all obviously want to support uh, that type of idea, inclusion in housing, and uh, it's a main focus of the MBA, I know, to, to try to improve minority homeownership rates, uh, something we all support and want to, want to do our part in. Um, yeah, I think the, uh, the issues, like you said, I mean, there's already not enough supply. Uh, First-time homebuyers are certainly finding it difficult to find to find a home. And then when you look at sort of some of the details, initial proposed details of these of the program, it looks very difficult to implement. Um, you know, one of the, the, the grants to be given at the time of closing. So how, how is that gonna work? Um, they do talk about it sort of uh, being managed through the state housing finance agencies. You know, not every lender is approved with every state housing finance agency. So how is that going to work? Um, it, working through the process with some of these state housing finance agencies in, in, in some states is challenging and, and they can be difficult to work with. Uh, they're overwhelmed. I know the ones that we deal with anyways. They're, they're overwhelmed just like everybody else while working from home. 
And um, I just don't see that they have the bandwidth. You know, they, they don't have enough staff to manage their own program as it is. They're doing it, but you know, they're, they're stretched very thin. So how are they going to take that on? And, and it just seems the mechanics of it would be very difficult. Um, I, I, I hope there's a, there's a way to make it work where it can be done in a feasible manner and where it's not a, a burden on uh, understaffed state housing finance agencies or, or a burden on the lenders uh, to be able to provide the, the funding at closing uh, if they do proceed with it. Um, but certainly hope they can come up with, with some good ideas uh, as to how to make it work so we can can help fulfill you know the need there for, for greater home ownership rates. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swabinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. I've got about five minutes left with Apex Home Loans President Eric Gates. Apex, about a $2 billion a year independent mortgage bank uh, based out of the Maryland, Northern Virginia, D.C. area, does business up and down uh, the East Coast. And Eric, I know you've always been very involved with MBA and just the advocacy side of our industry. Um, the non-owner occupied 7% thing. I know MBA is working really hard behind the scenes to try to, you know, some adjustment there, some plea to, you know, 7% as an industry or this whole 12-month rolling thing is going to be a nightmare for people to manage. Uh, any uh, breaking news uh, you've got for us on uh, MBA efforts by any chance? I don't have any breaking news. You're right, though. They're working really, really hard on this. I mean, they're continuing to push with FHFA. They're continuing to push with Treasury to try to get Treasury to uh, make a change on the on the PSPA requirements. Um, it's not happening quickly. And I know they've now taken this to the Hill and they're trying to push um members of Congress to get involved and for the members of Congress to urge Treasury to make a change. It really just doesn't seem to, to match with this administration's goals. Um, and so you'd hope there could be some opportunity for change there. Uh, certainly the way it's been implemented is a struggle. I don't need to go through all that. Everybody, everybody listening knows that and has been impacted by it. And, um, you know, we're no exception. We were, we were at a, year-to-date rate over 10% um, and had a pipeline that was over 10% that we're still working our way through. Um, so it's it's been a problem for us, like I'm sure it has been for everybody. Um, I guess the one thing I can say is whether you're an MBA member or not, you can join the Mortgage Action Alliance. And if you're not a member of that, it's free, do it. Um, you know, there's power in numbers and it's a very simple thing, you join. And this is actually they're, they're, they're having a campaign this week across many of the MBA member companies to try to increase membership in the Mortgage Action Alliance. You sign up. It's free uh, when they want to have a call to action to get word out to members of Congress or anyone else. You get a text or an email. It takes about 30 seconds to fill in your info and it fires off uh, communications to your representatives in D.C. And the more of these that go out, the stronger the message is. So um, if you're not a member of that already, really, really would ask that you, you consider signing up for that. And this week would be a great week to do it. Amen. Yeah. And our industry needs it. If not, if not evidenced by the governmental intervention and just, you know, changes with no warning in many cases that they're bestowing upon 
the industry that is financing the largest purchase for most Americans in their lives, uh, you know, it, it is, you know, our industry has really in Washington, they've attempted to, to run us over a number of times. And, you know, kudos to the MBA. I know a lot of times it seems like, you know, members that sometimes get frustrated, but it is a uphill battle and they are doing yeoman's work. So, uh, and Mortgage Action Alliance, like you said, it is free. Google it, it's free and it's impactful. Yeah, for sure. They're they're really working hard. I've been fortunate enough to see it firsthand. And like you said, it's a slow process. You know, the, the gears of government don't move quickly. We've got a couple minutes left, Eric. Uh, the just general business climate right now. Like, you know, I guess in a nutshell, like uh, Joe, TMC member, like last year was just fast and furious. The pandemic, the crush of business. Like next thing you know, the year's over. Uh, you get to this year. It was big, big app month in January. March was a record closing month for a lot of our members. I think rates went up a little bit and things slowed down a little bit, but now rates have dropped back down. What's the current business climate like for you guys at Apex? And um, talk about as well, just, you know, I know a lot of our members have talked about like, you know, if it's emerging technology or channel strategy or changes that they planned on making in 2020, it was just impossible to do anything except fend off the business. Uh, talk a little bit about that, that dynamic, if you could do uh, take us home here. Sure. I mean, I think much like everyone else, we're seeing the pace normalize some back to uh, what, it, what it used to be like. But it's hard to remember. It's been it's quite a long run and a long stretch. So I think, um, you know, we're, we're happy on some level to have the opportunity to catch our breath and, and give our staff an opportunity to catch their breath and uh, get a little rest. And, and um, But, yeah, I mean, we've seen business slow down like everybody else to, to a, a more typical pace, um, trying to just have the processes in place to, you know, I'm sure we all have lots of customers who are hoping to refinance that might have missed the boat at the end there, make sure we have the right processes in place to uh, capture that information, have, have all of those people teed up for future opportunities if they come along again, um, and just preparing for what I think we all expect coming with potential for compressed margins as things slow down. We, this industry always has a, has a habit of chasing lower volume with lower margin. And uh, we expect like 2018 to, to see some of that again and trying to make sure we're paying attention and uh, using tools from Optimal Blue that we use to monitor, you know, where pricing is in the marketplace. And, and in the end, it seems like the market sort of, tends to dictate where you got to be on margin sometimes to be competitive. So definitely expecting to see a lot of that coming in the near future. I remember, you know, like the winter of 2019, it was like the opposite of last year. Like, you know, business was drying up. Everybody thought they were going out of business. You know, the, the margin compression drinking game at the conferences, like every time you heard margin compression drink. Uh, <laughs> and, and this year, uh, I'm, you know, it's, a little terrifying because of how much money people made last year. Like the whole, you can't compete with stupid saying <laughs> like yeah. the people that have been stupid in the past are going to be even stupider. Right. Uh, in this, in a, in a real competitive environment because of how much cash they're sitting on. Yeah. People are, yeah. They're going to have much deeper pockets this time <laughs> around. So I think we can expect uh, a reoccurrence of what we saw last time. And it's, and it's a challenge. You know? 
never a dull moment in the mortgage industry. Keep an eye on the trees in your backyard, uh, you know, in case you see somebody with a saw back there. And uh, Eric, uh, always appreciate talking about the industry with you. Really appreciate your insight. Always stepping up as somebody we regularly call on to lead sessions, to help co-host discussions and programs like this. Greatly appreciate you. Well, you're kind, Rich. Thanks. You guys are doing a great job and really incredibly helpful to us and all your members throughout this craziness. So thanks for all you guys are doing. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you and uh, to our uh, listeners and viewers. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern for the last week of Mortgage Today. Uh, of course, we always upload this video to our YouTube channel and release this as a podcast as well, where I know a lot of you listen uh, or view as well. So until next week. Uh, have a great week, everyone, and uh, we'll see you then. Take care, everyone. Great week. Thanks. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.